Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to another episode of um, Sacred Cinema with me, your host, Jimmy Bernasconi, here on 2XX 98.3 FM. This week's episode is entitled Alien Encounters. Folks, we did have an alien uh, who was going to co-host this week, but he's just not cutting the mustard, or should I say the space mustard, in one of those tubes. Yes, this week we're talking about alien encounters, cinematic depictions of alien encounters, and what that can maybe tell us about how we think and feel about the world and all the things that are not necessarily in the world, but out of this world and coming to get us. Who knows? These are some of the bigger questions we're going to be asking this week. But there's some pretty big films to chat about. One in particular, Absolute Mammoth of 2023. Uh, so I want to get stuck in straight away uh, without going too much into, you know, the mythology behind aliens and that sort of thing. Even though I should mention that it's definitely in the water right now, like with the Senate hearings in the US and everything like that, and it coming up in a lot of films and things like that. Alien Encounters is certainly on our mind. So, so the first film we're going to talk about is Close Encounters of the Third Kind from 1977, directed by Steven Spielberg. And uh, we thank you, dear listener, uh, to the dear listener who recommended that we chat about that one. We're then moving on to Godland, uh, which uh, came out in 2022 in places like Iceland and things. It's an Icelandic film. It's, come, it's just come to cinemas in Australia uh, by Hilna Palmason. Uh, and then we're going to finish off with Asteroid City, directed by Wes Anderson from this year. But Let's kick things off now with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, directed by Steve Spielberg. So this is a film from 1977. I imagine many of you, dear listeners, have seen the film. But for those that haven't, it's basically just like a story about a small town um, in the United States that's confronted with aliens kind of spinning around and doing their thing in this uh, in this small town. And um, you've got the Richard Dreyfuss character who is um, dealing with that and his family and that sort of thing and a couple of other people around town are, are, are doing stuff. But that's pretty much the, the long and short of it. And we're not going to hover too much on this film and Godland at the beginning, but we're going to kind of we're going to trickle through and talk about them a little bit as we get to the end of today's episode. So if we if we sort of pass through this one quite quickly, don't worry, we're going to orbit back around and talk about it a little bit more by the end. But sort of the, the main points I want to make about this film is that it, it certainly sits and wallows in our ca- our cultural fascination with what lies out there in space, in the abyss. We've, you mean, probably since probably like the 50s, I suppose, particularly, but all through many cultures and societies, human beings have always been pretty hooked on aliens and flying saucers and things like that. And this is a very, um, you know, and this is something very, I guess this is a very Spielbergian feel to it. Like it's got a, like, he's obviously done E.T. and, and Super 8, but but also, you know, Jaws is also a little bit about, you know, what what lies in the abyss when we did our episode on um, the, the Deep Blue Sea many years ago, I think now. Um, we talked about that being symbolic of the abyss and sharks being symbolic of what lies in the abyss and that sort of thing. But what's, I think what's particularly interesting in, in it, in all its, in, in all its Spielbergianness, you know, in, in it being sort of a mainstream film that, that gets into our cultural, our, our sort of grand kind of macrocosmic cultural interest and fascination with aliens is that despite it having that kind of matinee movie adventure, popcorn, Hollywood style, um, it very much stays in one single place a lot of the time, particularly at the end, uh, as if it knew all along that, as if Spielberg himself knew that 
Audiences would be purely mesmerised by what they were seeing in watching this film. He knew that he could be really patient with us and that we could be really patient with him. He, he kind of had, had trust that we wouldn't look away um, during what kind of feels like a kind of endless scene um, because, you know, what we're looking at isn't something that you see every day and, and it does capture our attention, it does capture our curiosity. So I think that... Um, like it's 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 hard to say that it's a metaphor because it's literally aliens that we're looking at in the film. But the film itself and, and the way that we're mesmerised by the film is very symbolic of or very metaphorical for the culture's fascination with aliens in general. But are alien encounters simply just a matter of science fiction to be reckoned with in, in future dec- decades? And if not, how has this history of alien encounters that we've kind of hinted at there um, shaped our view of them and, and, and sort of what have we learned from them in a way? So let's move on now to our second film, Godland, directed by Hilna Palmason uh, from 2022, but it's just hit Australian cinemas here. And you can track this, I think you see this one at, at, at Palace Cinemas. Um, uh, and now you might be thinking, you know, Godland, hang on a second. Uh, isn't this the film about the, the Danish missionary that goes over to Iceland to set up a church and he also happens to be a photographer and that's very crucial to the plot and I'd say to you, dear listener, that's exactly the film I'm talking about. And it's good to see that you are so attentive in, in watching the film. You'd be like, how is this a film about aliens? Well, it's about it's, – it's set in a time in history where intercontinental or inter-island uh, encounters – were kind of analogous to how we understand alien encounters today. So, like, obviously it's not a literal story about literal intergalactic, you know, Martian alien types, but this is a real historic event that I think is perfectly analogous to what we would consider to be an alien encounter in contemporary times. You, you can kind of imagine, like, in, like, a thousand years, if we if we have already encountered aliens, let's say we do it tomorrow, in a thousand years' time, we'll simply see interplanetary interactions to just sort of be considered sort of the next stage up from intercontinental interactions and, and you know, th- that being the next stage up of international interactions and then that being the stage up from inter-societal, inter-community. Like if you go back tens of thousands of years, you know, when the British came to Australia, for example, that would have been pretty equivalent to an alien invasion. And we mean, we even use the word invasion for both situations. And I think the same goes for sort of missionaries during this time when they were going over and, and there's a clash of cultures. And it's very clear in this film that this is very much about the clash of cultures between um, the, the the Danish and the ice and the Icelandic and there's a deep exploration of linguistics and, and the significance of that and the film actually uses different language um, moments of uses different languages to sort of tell the story and um, Palmason has actually come out and said that um, you know people will watch this film differently depending on their Danish or if they're Icelandic or if they're a foreigner and we're kind of going to put all that to one side for the purpose of today's conversation I do I do a, I do apologize for that but what, what I want to sort of the lens through which I want to look at this film is is kind of like it, 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 that, that we, we've been through alien encounters before right and what did we learn from them okay well Speaking of learning, no society, right, despite how mesmerised we are by aliens and how technologically advanced they may be, and oh my goodness, they came all the way over here, they must be so clever, no society, at least on planet Earth, is yet to learn all things from, an, from a single alien encounter. 
um, you know, when the British came to Australia, they, they would, you know, when um, the local Indigenous people of Australia saw the ships, they would have been like, what is that? How does that work? You know, there would have been some, some mesmeric elements to that confrontation. But by no means did the British come, despite all that technology, that they come and bring pure truth and, and, and the big book of everything when they came here. We know that from today they knew very little comparative to what one might potentially know about the world. Um, so it, it, it's almost like the opposite. It's sort of like, it's not that the Danish missionary protagonist comes to spread the word of God and in doing so enlightens the Icelandic people to to, to, to the total and ultimate extent, right? It, it's almost the opposite. Ironically, the toll of the journey and everything that he goes through in his alienation, right, actually draws him into, ironically, a very unchristlike state. And it gives us that, that sort of archetypal sense that, that mere mortals are futile in regard to or, or with respect to communicating the depths of potential knowledge, specifically through written word, like specifically through preaching. And this seems maybe a little bit insensitive towards religion, but this isn't a completely anti-religious episode and, and, and that that will become a bit further more clear. We're not putting all our eggs in the science basket either. You'll see that in a moment. Um, but rather, it is a singular man cannot tell us, unless he's Jesus or something, I suppose, cannot sort of give us, or, or a singular alien, right, and we use that word broadly, cannot, won't just come and give us all of the knowledge that the, the world that might be possible for us to know. And, and, and but, more, but more so than that, um, in, in trying to do so, in actually in, in, in putting oneself forward to, to, to accomplish that mission, might actually do the opposite, might through the toll of that exchange, might actually undermine that very, um, that very premise that they, that they meant to put out. So it, it sort of seems like, the, like the, that an encounter with a singular alien probably won't save us. But we, we still are nevertheless, like despite this history that we've had of, of failed alien encounters, let's say, um, we are still nevertheless, we still nevertheless have this thirst for the abyss. We still look out into the night sky looking for flying saucers and that sort of thing. To the point that we've, we've almost forgotten that we've done this before and it didn't lead to anything. We've kind of put it out of mind. We, you could even say we're kind of jaded from the alien encounters of our past and, and to the point that we, we've become so ignorant of them and that we've forgotten that we've, we've already gone through this. So how, how can we sort of reconcile these two conflicting ideas here where we, we are mesmerized still by what's out there, but, but every time it's happened to us, it really didn't work out that well, or at least you know, there's many positives from globalization on many different levels, but it hasn't brought us all of the problems, uh, sort of solutions to all of our problems. In fact, we have some pretty massive problems now that are way more existential than any problems we've ever had before. So how can we reconcile these two clashing ideas? And um, before we move into our third and final film, which is an absolute mammoth uh, this week, uh, sorry to say, guys, um, just to remind you, are listening to Sacred Cinema here on 2XX 98.3 FM, People Powered Radio. I'm your host, Jimmy Berlusconi, for the remainder of this half hour. And be, st- be sure to stay tuned for more quality radio programs coming up here on 2XX after the show and also jump onto our website to consider sponsoring the show or subscribing to the station. Um, I would love that. The alien living under my bed would love that. We'd all love it from this galaxy um, to the next. But moving on now to our third and final film now, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this one. This is Asteroid City, the new film from Wes Anderson, and a lot of people have been chatting about this film since, I mean, it only just came out in Australia uh, this week, but um, a lot of people have been chatting about this one, and uh, if you haven't seen it, l- let's try and put the plot succinctly, because it, it is, there's a lot going on, all right, um, but it's, it's about a playwright, 
Hoops by Ed Norton, who's writing a play called Asteroid City, and it's set in like a stereotypical 1950s town in the American Southwest, with the protagonist being, again, a photographer. Did I not mention that? I did, I did mention that with respect to Godland. That's going to have some significance in a second. That there's also a photographer. And there's also images of, of photography in, in, in Close Encounters, of course, as well. Um, but uh, we've, got, we've got photography and, and observation and capturing capturing um, spectacle in all of these films. And uh, I should say, and we'll probably mention this in, bits in a sec, but the Jordan Peele film Nope would have fitted so perfectly into this week. So we have already talked about that film uh, before on the show, so feel free to go back and listen to that one after you've, after you've listened to this one. Um, but uh, uh, Jason Schwartzman is the protagonist. He's a father of some, some children. He's a photographer. And he is also the main actor in the play, Asteroid City, that, that Ed Norton is writing. So as you can tell from that, just very succinct, not so succinct, um, um, rundown, uh, a brief <laughs> um, synopsis <laughs> of, of the film, uh, it's very dense, it's very esoteric, it's very complicated, and this has been sort of the common critique since the film came out, but, and this is where I'm going to sound very trite, but we're going to spend a lot of time trying to explain what I mean here. I do kind of, even though it's going to sound like a cop-out, I do kind of think that that is the point of the film. That's actually what the film is about. And and I don't mean in that cop-out way where, you know, in, you know, in this post-modern age, someone makes a bunch of whimsical, crazy things, and they're like, isn't it crazy how things can be crazy? Like, it's not that simple. I, I think the film is really about, you know, confusing art or what we might call confusing art and particularly the rigour and the hard work that that an audience member might go through but a playwright, but an actor, um, but, but people go through in engaging with and interacting with this thing that we call art and, and creativity. Um, and look, we're going to get into the more subtle elements of it in a second, but I think this is actually this point is made very conspicuously in the film, like it's captured in the dialogue. We have Ed Norton's character, who is the playwright, sort of talking about how he doesn't know what the, the how, what to call the play, and sort of inferring that he doesn't really know. Um, so not inferring, but sort of implying throughout his playwriting experience that he has, you know, senses of frustration about where what direction it should go and what it's about and what, you know, what it's what its sort of anchor is. Um, he also has difficulty writing certain scenes, how to put things to paper. We've got Jason Schwartzman's character literally coming out of the play and walking into the set and saying that he doesn't know what the play is about and voicing frustration about that and has those discussions with Agent Brody's character. And then you've got those kind of conspicuous lines from the Jeff Goldblum character who kind of discusses metaphors and, and he sort of acts like the audience at a certain point in the film says, what, is that, was that meant to be a metaphor? What's it a metaphor for? And, and, and kind of almost ridicules or satirizes someone coming up with a very obvious and succinct and simple uh, a- answer for a question that really should be left to the to the movie gods to, to answer themselves. So, But let's go into some of those more subtle elements uh, or, or at least the, 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 the dense, more substantial aspects of the film that I think carry it further than just those simple bits of dialogue. Um, I specifically want to kind of talk about the composition, um, like the shapes we're looking at, the colours of this film, the, the general aesthetic of it, that 1950s nuketown aesthetic and how that really is the engine that drives the film and, and really drives a lot of Anderson's films. Really, If we're talking about it, I, I mean, he is so adored by, you know, filmmakers um, because he really does, almost better than anyone else, use 
the form of film and 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 how to move, how to use a camera, and what to shoot, and how to and positioning, and, and all that sort of thing to actually tell the story so much more than um, dramatic acting, which is made perhaps he liked to reserve to to the stage, and you know, hence why we get that typical Andersonian kind of deadpan thing because he, he, the emphasis is so much more on the colours and what we're looking at, and the composition and the mise en scene rather than the words. But let's try and ask this question: What does this nineteen fifties new town atomic age aesthetic? actually tell us about the world like if we just sit in that world for a while which we do in this film what does it tell us about the world well the first thing i think we should talk about is this this um kind of motif of openness of of big open clear blue skies a sense of spatiality of of vast space and and both in sense both in the sense that there is a lot of space out there in nevada and new mexico and things like that but also this is at the onset of the space age and we're looking at these broad blue skies we're looking out into space we're seeing a, a very vast very broad very wide um, thing when we look at a clear blue sky and and to sort of speak about the onset of the space age this is the beginning of the space race and well the space race is kind of like the beginnings of the 1960s but this cultural fascination with space and aliens and rockets and the the, the dawn of a of, 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 of a of a kind of b-grade cinema um, that's fascinated with flying saucers. We, we talked about that film Ed Wood uh, many years ago and, and how that film sort of embraces um, bad art and things like that in, in, in a way that that's quite charming. I think this film so beautifully embraces... Um, B-grade cinema in such a in such a subtle way, it, it embraces uh, a kind of amateurness, which is a very Andersonian thing through its use of sort of stop motion rather than CGI. Like like the, the, there is a sense of roughness roughness around the edges of the little stop motion characters, but it, that that it works for the film because it's not schlocky in that kind of derivative way that you might see like in The Simpsons where they have like the old movie and it and it, and it burns up and it's it's a failure. It, it, it's it's um it's sweet. It's adorable. It, it's cute. It doesn't take us out of the world we, we like looking at what we're looking at even if it is a little rough around the edges like the little road runner character and and some of the other stop motion um characters but if we're, if we're talking about sort of the dawn of the space age and our interest in aliens and rockets and things like that this film definitely steers into the scientism of the day and i use the word scientific scientism specifically because if you look up like a dictionary definition of scientism it's like an exaggerated trust in science in logic and mathematics and rationality and being able to um well i don't don't want to say logic and rationality but 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 human beings using pluses and minuses and ones and zeros to figure out how the world works and that's really significant because the 1950s followed what was a utterly cataclysmic, the most cataclysmic event being the Second World War, but specifically the birth of a weapon that can now end everything. Of course, we talked about this for the last couple of weeks. We've talked about, we did the Barbenheimer episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, we've also talked about um, existential threats and, and the film Gadiger and Interstellar and things like that a couple of weeks ago. But you know, So, we, so we've, we've, sort of, we've walked in this territory before, and this film, I think, is another fantastic example of, of putting all that stuff in context in, in the modern world. And sort of the scientism of this time... So, like this, this you know, the, the interest in nuclear technology and things like that, which we get from a movie like Oppenheimer, for example, which these films work together so well. Um, it, it's it's not just an emphasis on science, but it's also like a departure from religion and dogma. And speaking of a movie like Godland, which is about trying to you know capture 
all the world's wisdom or all the potential wisdom wisdom that one could need to live a, 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 a fulfilling life, you know, in, in the words in the Bible. You know, if you think about a, a play like uh, Waiting for Gotto, which comes out around this time, um, re- religion is sort of no longer the answer. Science begins to be a little bit more embraced and explored and... and um, but then in, the, in this film specifically, it actually ends up being critiqued, uh, particularly, uh, I don't mean science itself, but, but scientism and the, the politicization of science, which also happens in Oppenheimer. Um, and, it's, and it's ridiculed not in that sort of cynical way that you might see in something like The, like the Simpsons, as I mentioned, so you know, like, a, like in that 1990s postmodern way, but in a 21st century kind of metamodern way uh, where it's kind of more cute. Uh, we see it as more adorable. It's it's ridiculed, but in a way that it's still redeemed. Uh, and I think that's so much captured in like the little badges that the children get. Like science is something that's done by children. It's it's subject to flaws and failures, but it's still something that people should try and do. It's still a noble act, but it's it's kind of like the act of children trying to learn about the world in a kind of cute and adorable way. So I think we could kind of arrive at this point now where the, the, the film is, not going to say ultimately asking this question, but it's, it's certainly wading in this question of why should we by default expect our minds to sit in a state of certainty? We look at the, at the vastness and the openness of, of the universe, and if we look at what we're surrounded by and the developments we have made that have, have further endangered us, i.e. nuclear weapons, and we see the mushroom clouds in the background of this film, you do have to wonder, you ask sort of this question about yourself when, you, when you're watching the film, how could anyone trust any sense of certainty that they ever have? When you, when you think about what's out there to be discovered and every time that we have been dogmatic and serious and, and put our foot down, you know, building an atomic bomb, for example, we've made a real mess of things. Now, you could just say, well, this is just another derivative postmodern critique of, of rationality as a means of understanding the universe. We've heard this all before. Science can't do everything. Rationality can't do everything. There needs to be some kind of balance. There's more out there. There's so much more that science can't. And this is why I say this week isn't a purely anti-religious week because this is where religion comes into it. That's exactly what religion is the answer to. Things that we can't understand are understood and and, and governed by God. And when we and we... If you are a religious person, you you delegate that to, to God. You allow God to deal with that sort of thing. But I think the film takes another step. It, it definitely deals with that that those questions around the the the, the sort of um, the you know the flaws of scientism and that sort of thing. But it extends to filmmaking and media in general. And when I say media in general, I, I think it's worth touching on that Wes Anderson has clearly shown an interest in various forms of media and media in general in his recent films, not just cinema. Like he's he's telling his stories through cinema, but in French Dispatch, he's talking about, you know, like journals and magazines, but also painting and, and food and cooking. Um, and in this film, he's, he's clearly, you know, using theatre and, and, and playwrights, uh, playwriting and, and photography um, I think he's, he's sort of mapping things in a very comprehensive way. He's talking about all different forms of media and different mediums and that sort of thing in sort of the answering some of the questions or posing the questions, I should say, that he's, that he's posing in these films. And so in saying that question, why should we by default expect ourselves to have any certainty about anything? We've got to extend that to why should we by default ever expect ourselves, ever expect ourselves, be it in Close Encounters or in this film, to feel like the, the, the person that's made this thing has perfectly... Um, perfectly communicated what they're trying to say to us in a in a perfectly unilateral way. What 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 gives us the idea that that's ever a possibility? That's something that we should ever that we should ever walk into a movie theater and think is going to happen, when there is so much room for error in trying to fulfill that in trying to um, in trying to accomplish that goal. And I think the film actually is is really clever in how it 
depicts the idea that, that, that art is this sort of inevitably flawed form of like if, if it's meant to be perfectly communicating information in this sort of unilateral way, like from from composer or from filmmaker to audience, if that's supposed to be the sort of perfect means of how can you expect that to be a, a perfect means of communicating information, right? There's so much editorializing. Right, um, filmmaking and art in general is riddled with editorializing and leaving things out, and things being subject to different, you know, look, you, know the, you know, the Adrian Brody character is this sort of funny producer, and you've got the playwright there, and, and you've got all the different actors, and they've got different things going on. And I think the epilogue of this film, if you've seen it, kind of depicts a, a it's almost a depiction of a moment where you know, don't, don't ever forget, don't ever forget that um, things get left out, even ironically, things of great beauty. Uh, things that are archetypally beautiful can get left out of art because of it not being a perfect means of communication. And so we've, we've, we've tiptoed around it and I think we need to get to the main point of this film or the main focus of this film. At the end of Act 1, what do we get before the intermission? We get the big alien encounter, which everyone's talking about. And I think in having this as the focal point of the film, I think what Anderson does, or at least in my view, from my vantage point, how I think this film, why, why I enjoyed this film and what I got from this film, is that it sort of analogizes our, comf- our confrontation or, or, or our encounters with the vastness of reality, the vastness of space, and also the vastness of art, the openness of art, the fluidity of art. In, in all their respective mystery, the, the respective mystery of both those things, it analogizes those things with with confronting an alien from outer space that drops down, shows itself, and then goes back up again and does little quirky weird things, right? All those three things are in parallel with each other, right, in their mystery, like the vastness of reality, the vastness of art, and and the the, the mystifying nature of aliens, right? They all have a a natural sense of allure. Um, They're utterly mystifying, and they're kind of impervious to ignorance. You can't look past them, right? If you look at, like, reality, the vastness of space and nature, you can't ignore everything, you know, a wave on a beach or a a storm. You can't look away. Um, Art, I mean, there's a great line in the film where the protagonist says everything, the photographer says everything I shoot comes out. And I almost think that's Anderson speaking to us. It's like, no matter what I make, you people are going to be curious enough to come and buy a ticket and watch. I could make dog slop. You're going to come and see it, aren't you? Uh, you know, everything he makes comes out, right? Uh, th- there is a natural sense of allure, even if it is bad. We, we're curious about it. And then also with aliens, obviously, you know, be it close encounters or nope. You know, when we see a spectacle in the sky, we want to know all about it. But the film isn't just drawing this analogy for the sake of it. I think there's sort of two main outcomes of this. I think on one hand, it's commenting on the importance of our fascination with mystery, with the abyss, right? The the, the fact that the possibility of wisdom, finding wisdom in the abyss, despite our history of futile attempts um, to, to, to find wisdom in alien encounters... Uh, there's still a possibility of finding that. You know, it may have not happened. It might not happen 999 times. It might be the 1,000th time they actually do find something worth finding, and that has happened in history. And I think that's best um, carried in the dialogue uh, from the Brainiac character when he says the, the the line about you know the vastness of space and what what could be out there, the meaning of life could be out there. And also, I think the film comforts us in our mystery. Because there's a particular line in the film. If you've seen the film, you know which one I'm talking about. Which kind of evokes this sense that. It, it's kind of only in, in a sense of mystery, by only having a sense of mystery, by, by having that sense of uncertainty that a person is actually able, is that a person is actually in a position to discover new things. Like, like it's not just that mystery, we're condemned to mystery, but mystery is the thing that kind of liberates us and allows us to grab onto something new rather than having 
biases around the things that we already believe. And, and doesn't that sort of resonate today with regards to modern politics? But let's kind of bring everything together this week. So we, 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 we clearly have a fascination with the alien in general, let's say, with the abyss, and it permeates our culture and it's never going away. We're mesmerised by things that we've never seen before. But if our history of alien encounters tells us anything, it, it tells us that it's, it's not really through encountering singular individual alien figures that our world's you know, has, our world has massively expanded. Rather, it seems that there's, there's some sort of virtue in embracing broader energies, what you might call the abyss, finding solace in, in not precise words on a piece of paper, but in openness, in the, in the vastness of space or nature or even on the silver screen. We can see that in all the films, right? In Close Encounters, the, the mesmeric images of the aliens hook us in and, and, and for weirdly extended periods. There's no words used. We're just there looking at this thing that we can't understand. In Godland, the actual photo- pho- photographs that inspired the film, when you see it at the beginning of the film, that, that, that capture the natural landscapes of Iceland, the beauty of the abyss, the beauty of nature captured on camera, that's what captures our attention and inspires us further, not the mere words that the missionary preaches. And in Asteroid City, which is, you know, in also embracing not only the limitless of art, but the limitlessness within art, within singular pieces of art, we get this sense that, that, it's, that it's maybe perhaps it's only in embracing the, the galaxies of information that we don't yet understand that we can be open, that we can be truly open to an actual alien encounter. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on Sacred Cinema. Thanks so much for joining us and please stay tuned for more People Powered Radio here on 2XX 8.3 FM. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. Have a good one. Cheers. Cheers.